All right, let's then turn to the 12th chapter of the book of Hebrews. Um, we're going to be reading from verse 1 down to verse 13. Obviously not preaching all of those, but we'll look at them together. Let me read it to you. You can follow along. <laughs> Love that child. That's why the Lord never gave me daughters, you know. Oh. All right, beloveds. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance, and the sin that so easily ensnares us, let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and per perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, so that you won't grow weary and give up. In struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You have forgotten, and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly, or lose heart when, he, when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones that he loves, and punishes every son he receives. Endure suffering as, the, as a disciple. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are an illegitimate child and not sons. Furthermore, we have all had human fathers discipline us, and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us a short time based on what seemed good to them, but He does it for our benefit so that we can share His holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your tired hands and your weakened knees and make straight paths for your feet so, what is, so that what is lame may not be dislocated but healed instead. Amen. So this morning I just want to look at verses 1 and 2. And, and we'll begin that as we, we transition into the end of this letter, book, sermonette, whatever you want to call it. And he's getting to the last part of it. There is exhortations and commands. He's getting to the point, the, the therefore. He's gone through all this doctrine. He's gone through all these points. He's elevated the Lord Jesus Christ in the eyes of the, his hearers, listeners, readers, whoever they were. He has demonstrated to them that the way of faith has been from the very beginning. That, though that old covenant was a covenant not of necessarily works, but of faith. It was by faith all these men did these things. 
And so in verse 12, he gets to there and he turns to his audience, those people who are receiving him, who are listening to him. And he interacts with them and he says, Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses, I like that picture of a cloud. It's the idea of, of being in a, an arena. Again, I think I've told you about when I was in Bilbao in the north of Spain and they had that 50-something thousand football stadium. I wasn't in it, but I've seen pictures of it. And there's 50,000 people and they're all raised up all in an arena type experience. And the idea is that you're in the midst of it and there are people all around you. Everywhere you look, you're just surrounded. It's like being in a cloud of people. You're just, you're there and they're all around. If you have ever driven through a cloud, if you're driving here in the morning times, and there's mist going across the road and you drive through it and it surrounds the car. You can't see anything. You're contained within it. So he is pointing to these people from the Old Testament, these witnesses that he's talked to from, these people of faith from the Old Testament, from chapter 11. And he's pointing to them and he's saying that we have got this great group of people and he uses the word witnesses, martyrs. Interesting word. You and I, when we read this, we might think of witnesses as someone who is watching us. They're spying on us. They're observing us. Since we are surrounded by this great cloud of observers. But it's not that. It's this great cloud of testifiers, martyrs. People who are witnessing, testifying of the faith. They're the ones demonstrating to you and I what the faith really looks like. What it means to follow Jesus. These are the people who are footy build. What's that in English? Footy build. Examples. Thank you very much. Examples. They're the ones who are the examples for us. And we're, we can see that. We've seen that example. Now, as we are surrounded by it and as they're testifying and as it, as it, it's in our face. He says here, and he uses, he's using uh, racing, running metaphors. These little pictures. Let us lay aside every hindrance and sin, as it says in my Bible, that so easily ensnare us. The idea here is a, a long distance runner doesn't have a backpack on when they go running. We have some runners in the congregation. I don't run. Okay, You can see by my body shape. I was made for fighting, not for running. And uh, there are those who can run and those who have to stay and fight. And I'm one of those. But a runner doesn't go with a backpack on. They don't wear big, heavy boots for the most part. I know soldiers can, but they don't run all the time. But a person who is running a long distance run or a marathon, an endurance race, they don't wear heavy gear. I have a friend from Jakobstad. She is in Malmo at the moment and she's doing the endurance race there, the big famous one in all Scandinavia. Um, just completely went out of my head. And I seen on her Instagram this morning as she was doing it uh, and it's an assault course. You have to do the swings and you have to do like the, the running up that big kind of slope and you have to crawl through mud and, and uh, it's it's crazy. And it's, like, it's a marathon and an assault course put together. And, uh, and I was watching it and I was thinking, you would need to be crazy to try and run that. 
But when she was running, she wasn't running with a backpack. She didn't have big bulky clothes on. She didn't have tight fitting clothes. You know, the sort of things that construct, constrict your movement when you're trying to... She was dressed for the race so that she could begin and end. And everything that, that would have weighed her down or caused her to have more, you know, to be exhausted was stripped away. And all she had was her training clothes. And she did a great job. She was absolutely fantastic. That's what the writer, the speaker, the, uh, the author of the Hebrews is saying to those who are listening. That in our lives, as we are going on with Christ, as we are pro... Um, I was going to say processing. No, as we are progressing, that's the word I meant. Progressing with Christ. There's going to be a lot of things that are going to try and hold us back, hold us down. Worldly cares, strife, strains. And the writer here, or the Holy Spirit through the writer here, is commanding us to get rid of those hindrances. Little things or big things. He says in my Bible, hindrances and sins. The hindrances are the sins. He doesn't go into any detail of what they might be because they're all different in each of our lives, aren't they? Your sins are not like my sins. The temptations that I would be susceptible to, you're not susceptible to for the most part. Yes, there are common ones, but for the most part, every person is different. We're all individuals. So the writer here, the Holy Spirit through the writer here, doesn't specify what he means, because he doesn't need to. If you know yourself, you know the things that cause you to kind of hesitate or stay back, or the things that are perhaps a little bit tempting. And the idea here again is to, to strip them away. An ongoing act of, act of sanctification. That your Christian life isn't what to be one of just sitting. Of one of, of no participation. Where you're just a passenger in the bus. But rather the Holy Spirit in you and through you is actively transforming you and changing you into the likeness of Jesus. Again, the ongoing process of sanctification. God's will for you is what? Holiness in this life. But you are commanded to be an active participant in that. To get rid of those little things. Remember Jesus warned his disciples, it's the little foxes that destroy the vines. It's the little foxes that were able to get in through the fences, dig up the, the, the grape vines. I was going to call them grape plants, but you know what I mean. Cause difficulties and... and, and uh, all those harm. And for you and I, the command here is to get rid of those things. Let us lay aside. We have looked at the Lord Jesus Christ. We have looked at the life. We have seen the, the supremacy of the New Testament in comparison to the Old Testament. And therefore, let's not get hung up with the things of the old life with the temptations and strains, stresses of the things that would pull us back, the condemnations and judgments of spirit, where we would condemn people and judge others, put ourselves in a position where we think that we're over other people, that we actively criticize or gossip. Put aside those things. Laziness. 
fearfulness, jealousy, a covenant, a covenant, covetous, I have struggled with that word, covetous spirit, where you look at what someone else has or what you think they have, what that's going on in their life, and you think, oh, I want that. And you get jealous. Put aside those things. They're, they're hindrances to you. They're not benefit to you. They're weights upon your progress. They're sins that trip you up and ensnare you. The idea, again, is ensnares us. Have you ever seen, again, I saw it today on, on, on Tia's uh, Instagram they have this, they have this like netting on the ground, and then the the competitors have to run through the netting. You ever seen it? It's like a big thing. Have it in the army assault courses. It looks crazy, especially when it's a race and you're running, and they have to run through these these nets, and they're about they're about knee high. They're not like at the ground, we're just lying. They're about knee, and they have to run through them. And the idea here is that our hindrances, our sins, these things that we are reluctant to let go, they're not helping us, but rather they're a hindrance. And that they, they, they gather around our legs, they ensnare us, trip us up, cause us to stumble and bumble, and that we fall over. They prevent us moving forward and hold us back. More harm than a help. And so these things were commanded to let go in an active participation with the Holy Spirit in our ongoing process of sanctification. That is us being transformed into the likeness of Christ. You are commanded, the Holy Spirit through the writer, through, down through the ages, actively today is commanding you in the light of the fact that the New Testament is better than the Old Testament, that they're both based on faith, But you are required, commanded to participate. Let us put aside. They're not helping you. And then in part two, he says here, let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. Let us. I like the way the writer puts himself in that. You know, they're they're all too often... Preachers, when they preach, they'll, they'll say, you people, you people need to repent. You people need to do this. You people need to. But the writer here is saying, us, let us. He's one of his people. He's right there. He recognizes that he's preaching first and foremost to himself before he's preaching to his people. Let us run the race with endurance. That word, uh, Endurance is from the Greek word uh, agnon, agagon. Well, it's the word we get agonized from. It means to struggle, to strain, to put effort into. It's only used once other time in the book of Hebrews, but Paul likes this word. The Apostle Paul likes this word. And he uses it five times. And I thought we could just quick take a quick Bible jog so that we understand how it's used. So we go to Philippians. You don't have to. I can go for it. I can tell you. But if you want to keep tabs on me, make sure that I'm not telling you lies. Once again, Kyle realizes why he shouldn't prepare in a different Bible. 
about 1 in 30. We can, we can read it a little bit. For, 1 in 29. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. Since you are engaged now in the same struggle, and that's that word again, that you saw that I had and now hear that I have. This is Paul struggling in his life, the sufferings, Paul's endurance, the difficulties. And we all know the life of Paul and the, the tribulations, the struggles that Paul went through. His list is legendary. And here Paul uses this word in, in conjunction with himself and his life that he struggled, endured, persevered, agonized through it. And then we go to uh, Colossians 2, chapter 1. Again, Paul. Chapter 2, verse 1. For I want you to know how greatly I am struggling for you and for those in Laodicea and for all those who have not yet seen me in person. Here again, Paul is using this word, this, this struggling, this enduring, this persevering, this agonizing, but not in, in connection with himself this time, but rather with his efforts on other, others, on their behalf. He is struggling, he is enduring, persevering, working hard. There is effort, sweat, blood and tears in this word. Paul is saying, I am not vacant or inactive on your behalf, but rather I am struggling, putting strain and effort into it. And then 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 2. He says, on the, we can read for verse 1, actually, I'm good to For you know yourselves, brothers and sisters, that our visit with you was not without result. On contrary, we were, or on the contrary, after we had previously suffered and were treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great um, opposition. And here we see, of his great struggle on behalf of the gospel and the preaching of the gospel. So not only did he endure his life, the sufferings of his life, and it went through them, not only did he do it for other people, but also for his, the ideology that he believed in, the gospel message. He greatly struggled. Again, think of that word agonized. I like that word. He agonized in the work. You and I are called to agonize in the work, to stress and to strain, not to be stressed, but to put physical effort into it. Again, it's the idea that it makes you sweat. It's the idea of blood, sweat, and tears. It's not to come easy. It's not to be a cakewalk or a picnic in the park. It's work. It's to be a fight. It's to be an effort. It's to be moving forward at a cost. And then we go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verse 12. Paul saying to Timothy, Fight the good fight of faith. 
take hold of the eternal life of which you are called and about which you have made good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Fight the good fight. Agonize. Struggle. Endure. Persevere. Don't give up or give in. Win. Don't be passive. There are no pacifists in the kingdom of Christ. Now I'm saying we go around punching people. Don't punch people. But we are called to a spiritual warfare. Something that will cost us of ourselves, but also puts us in a state where we are in odds. Here, Paul is speaking to Timothy and he's saying, in the face of false teachers, don't give up. Don't give in to them, but rather resist, endure, persevere, agonize. And then finally, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, For I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Again, there is that word. He has endured, he has kept going, he has gone on. And it's for the faith. Beloved, you and I are called to live our life in such a way as we endure. Not that we suffer, not like, oh, I'm so bad. And we lie around like little babies in a crypt. A crypt. What do they call those things that babies lie in? A cradle. A crypt is where dead people live. A cradle. And we're not called just to be big, giant, spiritual babies, but we're to be workmen for the Lord. And that goes through every aspect of our lives. How we endure the sufferings of just normal life, the, the, the indignities, the, the stresses, the strains, the embarrassments, the trials, those things that are called for, from us that we have to give up, that we have to do, the time that we give, everything, all that aspect of our own personal, who we are and how we live our lives, we are to endure. And then, not just for ourselves, but for those around us. For we know the greatest expression of Christian life is not how you live for yourself, but how you're living for others around you. You must love others as you love yourself. Indeed, you must put them higher on the scale than yourself. And not for just because you're a great lover of people, but because of Christ's love your love for Him and His love for you motivates you to live your life in such a way that you give yourself for the brotherhood and for the world. And then we're called to endure for the faith. Are you agonizing for the faith? For the, the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, for His reputation, for His fame, that his name might live and be great among the nations. Are you agonizing in it? Are you working hard to ensure his fame is great? And then also the enduring of persecutions. Not being afraid of them. Not being afraid of when people say bad things about you. Not being afraid of when people tell lies about you. But rather enduring it. Not striking back. 
Not fighting back. Not trying to, to choke the life out of them. That's why I do jujitsu. <laughs> not to choke the life out of people, but just get that out. We need to endure. We are commanded to do so. And then again, the last one is for the faith, for the church, for the way of Christ. For Christ and for Him alone that we, we endure the, all of the false things that are going out there. Why do we do this? Why don't we just go join one of the other churches out there, one of the other communities of faith? Because we recognize and see that they're not doing things according to the book. And therefore, we endure, we do this despite what people might say or do or be ostracized. We endure, we fight, we struggle, we agonize. You and I are commanded to do this. And it's not just for today. It's for as long as the Lord should leave us, let us be upon this planet, in this life. The race is a metaphor for our lives. And only God knows how long each one of our lives is. The race that's set before you. God has established your life and how many days you might have left on this planet. But for every moment of that race, you are called to endure, to keep going, to not give up. Now, I understand. I, I, I'm not a runner and I don't run. <laughs> But I understand that as you get to a certain place in a race or a marathon or endurance, that there comes a part where your body just says, nah, no, no more, no more, I'm going to give up, I'm going to sit down. They call it the wall. You hit the wall and your body just recognizes, you know what, nah, nah. But the best runners, the best marathon endurance runners, they have themselves programmed so that when they, that physical block comes, that mental physical block, when their body says, nah, that they're able to say, no, you're a liar and I'm pushing on. I have reserves you don't know about. There's a guy called Dobson, I think his name is. He's a, uh, one of these ridiculous uh, marathon runners, like uh, extreme marathon runners. And uh, he talks about the, the, it's the, the 30-60 rule. That whenever your body gets to like 30% of its, of its um, I say 30, I meant 40, 60. My math is terrible. Get to that 40% where your body, then your body says, you know what, we're done. But really there's another 60% of reserves there that you have to enter into. So there comes a time when, when we naturally just want to give up and give in. It becomes uncomfortable. We're too tired. Or whatever, whatever the circumstances are. And there's this natural desire to stop. But it's in that moment, that's when you are called to endure. That's when you are called to agonize, to press on. When you, have, when you feel as if you have nothing left, to give it that extra 10%, that extra 20%. Day and daily going on. And the, the good news is here that there's a victory Ahead of us. It's not this that you're, you're called here and we were like skeletons at the end, emotional, psychologically done people, but rather that as we go on, we become stronger, we become better, we become fitter. 
and our endurance level and our stamina levels get higher and higher and we can endure more and more. I remember when I began to skip, I skip. Might have seen that this week on, on, on Instagram or whatever it was. I, I did the last 30 seconds of my, my uh, workout. I remember when I first started skipping, couldn't skip for more than like 20 seconds. Boop, stop. But then with time and effort, you know, you put on music and you skip. I can skip for like eight minutes, no problem. Boom, 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 boom. But that didn't come immediately. It came with the effort and the ability to keep going and to keep going, to trial and effort. And, and when you're really tired and your legs are sore, but you still go. Control your breathing. You know how to do the Focus. You and I, beloved, are called to endure. Are you enduring? And again, the word enduring maybe is a little bit to agonize, to push on beyond your boundaries, to go boldly where you have never gone before. It says here that we are to keeping, while we're enduring, keeping our eyes focused upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Having your eye on the prize. We're not doing this enduring for nothing, but rather we recognize and understand that there's a reward for us. That Jesus Christ is our example. That He is the one who has made a way. But also He is the reward. Him and the life that comes from Him. And the idea again is that though you're in a, like a athletics competition and there's a great crowd of people all around you and there's big noise and people are applauding you but your coach, your supporter, that person who has trained you and is training you, they're ahead and they're at the finish line and they're saying, come on, come on, don't give up. Because you've invested so much, and that person has invested so much in you, the idea is that they become your motivation. You do want to give up because of them. You want to let them down. You want to disappoint them. And just even the, the, the sight of them gives you strength. You know that they know you. And they believe in you. And you're able to keep going because that person is there calling you forward. And beloved, you and I as Christians, as we go through this life, as we agonize for the Lord Jesus Christ in every aspect of our living, we do so with our eyes fixed upon the prize, upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And it goes on here saying that He is, the, in my Bible, the source, or maybe in your Bible it says the author or the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Here the word for uh, the source. Uh, what was it in Greek? I could go on. My Greek is terrible. I'm sorry. But it, it means literally like the, 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 a pioneer. One who has made a way. The first one through the door. The one who has gone beyond and has established a path. A founder. The, the life, the, the race that we are running, Jesus Christ has established it. He has gone before us. We know we are able to do it because He Himself has run it and won it. He has succeeded 
It's not a vain hope. It's not a superstitious close your eyes, throw salt over your shoulder. Maybe, hopefully, perhaps. It is achievable because Jesus Christ has achieved it. He has accomplished it. It is finished. And therefore we keep our eyes fixed upon him. For we know that he has done it. He has made a way. He has established this life. And in him we can trust. We know that he knows what he's doing. You and I might not know what we're doing. Uh, I often have I said in the past that with the, the, with, the, with the church's taxes and insurances, I know how to do it. But if you ask me why I'm doing it, hmm. Because, you know, a lot of the things were in Finnish way back when we first started. And I knew exactly what to push, the buttons to push on the computer. And they were all to make all the payments and stuff. But, um, hmm. But I knew someone who did read Finnish. And they explained it to me and helped me translate everything. And that person helped us get through that. And so we all established it and it's perfect. The idea here is we have a supporter, a strengthener. One who is able to come alongside us and to keep us going. Beloved, are your eyes fixed upon Jesus? I reckon the reason so many of us give up or fumble or fall down, get tired in our walk with Christ, is that we continually are removing our eyes from Him. We look around at the people around us and we get disappointed. We look at ourselves and we get disappointed. And we think to ourselves, you know, oh, I'm tired. But if only we would lift up our eyes and look to Lord Jesus Christ, remembering what He has done for us, that He died for you. Like literally, literally died for you. I know we say that a lot. It becomes often a... a, um, I have to remember what time it is. It becomes a, 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 a catchphrase, a cliche, occasionally to us. Jesus died for you. And it washes off us like, like water off a duck's back, like grease off a Teflon pan. doesn't really mean anything anymore. But when you consider that you yourself will one day die and then stand before God and must then face Him in judgment, and after that, there comes true death, great death, second death, whatever that is. And that Jesus Christ died, that when you stand before God, you won't experience the anger of God. You won't experience the vrede, the, the, I like that word, the wrath, that, that hard burning hate. But rather that God will look upon you with a smile. Uh, He will embrace you, treat you like a beloved child, call you in, give you a hug, protect you. Jesus Christ died for you. So when we look upon Him and we remember those things and we realize them, live in the reality of it, it should fuel our strength. If Jesus was to do able to endure all of God's wrath on behalf of me, if he took upon himself all the humiliation of his incarnation, 
coming as a man and experiencing this material realm and going through all those disappointments, all of those betrayals and everything that he went through in order that you and I might have peace with God. Well, I can then endure and agonize on his behalf in this world. I tell you, I have my boys. You all know I love my boys. The pain in the butts that they are. I love them. And uh, if any of them were about to die or you know, have something, or needed a kidney or whatever, one of you guys gave them their kidney and or gave you and saved their lives and stuff because I'd be your man forever. You know, whatever you needed. I'd wash your car every day, whatever you needed. My debt to you would be unpayable. So much do I love my kids and that love would be transferred to you. But Jesus died for us. He, he gave us eternal life, eternal peace, reconciliation. Not only peace with God, but we were brought into the family of God. That he looks upon us with kids. Should we not then be active, agonize about his name, about his reputation, about his standing in this world? Loyalty to him. So you and I are called to endure, to keep going and not to give up, not to be unburdened. By all these hindrances and sins that might slow us down. That we might be active in our um, sanctification. And it goes on here. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross and despised the shame. And sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's what Christ did. And we know because when he did those things, that he is on our behalf and on our side. And we... Then, as we live our lives, as we run the race that's set before us day and daily, we do so with the, the weight of the knowledge that we bear his name upon us. You ever seen uh, professional sports people sponsored by, they have people's names on them, don't they? Or on their cars or whatever they do. Even in jiu-jitsu, you'll see people with, with uh, patches on their jiu-jitsu gaze, you know. Sponsor And when they're competing, when they're representing, they're representing not just themselves, but the one who has invested in them. And you and I, we are sponsored by Christ. We bear his name and his reputation is upon us. So as we live in this life, are you enduring? Are you actively participating in the day and in the daily Grind. Now, I'm not saying that every day, every moment is going to be awful. <laughs> every day is going to be like, you know, you're being thrown into jail or people are throwing dead cats at you. That's, that's not real life. Maybe for somebody somewhere. But for us here, it's not real life. But for you and I, we fight against the mundane. We fight against the, the emptiness, the non-religiousness, the the atheistic spirit of our age that demands, us, demands of us that we be like everyone else, that we just fit in, that we just mellow out, calm down and blend in and be like everyone else. It's there we must endure. We must 
fight to maintain that Christian spirit that lives for His name, that wants to bring glory and honor and praise to Him, that wants to experience the fullness of the blessing that God has for you, always remember there is a higher Christian life. There is a a degree to Christian living that you have not yet experienced. You're not living your best life now. You have not explored every nook and cranny of the Christian faith and of the experience that a human being can have with his God. I'm not getting into charismatic wackiness. Please don't lift your eyebrows at me and go, Kai, where are you going with this? But there is an aspect where you, a mortal human being, are in a relationship with the immortal God, the super sovereign of the universe, of all existence. And his entire attention is focused upon you. You are the apple of his eye. He loves you. And there is aspects of that relationship that you have not yet explored. You're not mature enough. You're not ready for it. And he's going to lead you and guide you. Are you agonizing? Pressing on, enduring. I, I don't want you to think you need to go from this place and be all super serious. And press out that super seriousness. As we are, we are. But there must be a, an ongoing activity within us. We cannot live Christless lives in our generation. This world in which we live, the generation in which we live, it demands of us that we live godless lives, Christless lives. It demands of us that we hide our light under a bushel and fit in and appear like everybody else. Beloved, you and I must fight hard not to allow that to happen. I'm not saying walk down the high street with maracas or a sign or stand with a billboard saying the end is nigh. But in your day and daily, in the everyday experiences of your lives, in the normal, it's time for us to be extraordinary. Not doing miracles, signs and wonders, but holiness, righteousness, truth, an aspect this world does not know. Just this week, while I'm doing trainings and stuff, I've had several young men come to me and, and say, you know, who didn't know I was pastor, I didn't know that I was a pastor, uh, and said, you know, I'm really grateful that you're here. I'm really grateful that I, I feel I can just talk to you. I'm really grateful that I, I know that when I communicate these things to you, you're not going to share them wrong. You won't laugh at me or judge me. And then, well, you know what? I'm, I'm actually a a pastor of a church, and the, the eyebrows go through their head. Oh, what? Because the aspect of Christ in me, caring for these young men, des- desiring a better life for them, and they see that, they sense that, they feel that, and they are attracted to it. We point them to Jesus. We point them to the better life, the free from sin life. Beloved, you and I are called to endure to carry on, to persevere, to agonize. Are you? I would have you experience more of God. That all of those sins, all of those hindrances, all of those heavy, unnecessary weights that you're holding on to, whether they be 
bitterness, pride, sin, jealousy, whatever. You take your pick. That they'd be stripped away and that you'd be able to a free life with Christ. Go on with him. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord God, that you would bless us. Lord, we desire to know you more. We desire to live a life that brings glory and honor to your name. Lord, we desire that you would be lifted up on, in this earth and upon this earth, that you would draw all men unto yourself. Help us, O God. You've commanded us through your word to endure, to look unto you, to rid ourselves of these hindrances, these sins that would hold us back and slow us down, that bind us, tie us up, trip us up. Please, Lord, help us. Lord, those areas of our lives where where sin is so entrenched, where, Lord, we don't have the, the wisdom or the maturity to break out, please grant us deliverance. Please grant us, Lord, a way to bring glory and honor to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, we, we, will, we know that we will live in eternity giving praise and honor and declaring His goodness. Lord, we pray, help us to do that this day. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. amen.